The Love Good Podcast is brought to you by our patrons. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Love Good Podcast. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 17. You know, I'm actually sitting at a friend's home in Terrassa, Spain right now. This is just outside of Barcelona, where we had a beautiful Life Teen European conference here this past weekend. And I'm at the beginning of about a month of travels across Europe. It began just last week in Amsterdam. And then after that, we were in Santiago, Spain. We did one day of the Camino. I'm in classic American mood. We did one day of it and we're claiming it. It was awesome. And uh, just spent most of today and yesterday skiing first in Spain, the, the beautiful Pyrenees Mountains. And then today I snuck over to Andorra. It's this little slice of a country between Spain and France that I had never heard of before this trip. And if you're not yet following me on social media, Jimmy P. Mitchell is my handle on both Twitter and Instagram. The pictures from the last week alone, really, really breathtaking stuff. Uh, Y'all, this is going to be a wonderful episode. In just a few moments, I'll be sitting down with Janae Trudell. This is a conversation we had not too long ago about the universal need and desire that we all have for home. That ache, maybe you could even call it that nostalgia that we all feel and that need that we have to belong. And our special guest for this particular episode is Kevin Hyder. Kevin is an old friend. He's no stranger to love good. And just about a month ago, we were together in Dayton, Ohio, when we recorded this conversation where we talk about all kinds of different things, such as the future of his career as a singer-songwriter, but most importantly, this, this desire that he has Uh, to really respect people's imagination, even their intellect, as an artist to not try to answer every question of the human heart, but to simply lead people to that state of wonder uh, that that leave them um, curious for more and and longing for more. So obviously, Kevin totally gets what Love Good is all about, and this is a really, really fun catch-up with him. And um, y'all, it's just a privilege to have you listening. So thanks for tuning in. We'll be back in just a few moments. Don't shine brighter than your soul So here's some more life and love with you And I see you with those wayward boys And I love the sound of your sweet voice It's your heart that makes this house a home Come and what's going pass I sing your song and I raise my glass Here's some more life and love with you Oh, treasure of my heart Oh, precious bitter part Silver and gold don't shine You're listening to Here's to You by Chris Cole off of his EP, Full and By. 
available exclusively on iTunes and lovegoodculture.com. Welcome back to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. Really pumped, as always, to be sitting down with my trusted co-host, <laughs> Janae Trudell. Hello, everyone. How are you doing, Jimmy? Well, yeah, pretty good, actually. Um, really good. I feel like I'm in the midst of a lot of travels right now, mm. and that is ever so slightly overwhelming when you wake up and you realize you just literally don't know where you are. You ever had that experience before? Mm-hmm. It happens, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, when you're on tours yeah. and you're waking up in a new city <laughs> every couple of days, but at least then you're waking up in the same bus or no? Where do you guys yes, stay? Yes, at least, yeah, in our uh, motorhome. You guys call it an RV, I think. Yeah. 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 And I just find it really... A little bit discomforting at times. I mean, even if it only lasts for four seconds, if I literally wake up to an alarm clock and it takes me that long to figure out where I am, it's Mm -hmm. very disorienting, Mm -hmm. very unnerving. But it does kind of really strike a chord with the conversation we're about to have about home. Mm. This desire that I think all of us have for home. And I think part of that is stability. Part of that is a sense of family and Mm -hmm. community. Maybe part of it's just predictability. You know, we all kind of appreciate a rhythm in our day and a rhythm in our life. And when you're traveling a lot, it's thrown off. I mean, I spent years living as a wandering missionary, as many of my closest friends called me. I mean, I was never like in one place for very long. It was always like time spent with young people and with artists, but often it could have been any corner of the country, any part of the world. And I still look back at that time with just an incredible amount of gratitude and joy But I have to say, given that I'm in a different season of life now, I sometimes wonder how I did it, Mm -hmm. how I could wake up and not have a sense of home. And I think the reality is I always truly, in in the depths of my heart, and this is still true of most of my travels today, I feel at home wherever I am. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm really curious, um, as we talk about home and nostalgia today, where and at what point did any of this even become a thought process for you? Because I hear you talk about it a lot. Not a lot, but more than me. I've never even thought about the word nostalgia for more than a half second. <laughs> and here we are about to have a whole conversation about it. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, it's been pivotal for me. Um, and I, I can't trace back a moment um, that that occurred to me. But I think it, I, I mean, the first time I really felt um, on a human level homesick was when I left home after graduation. I moved a couple hours away. Um, and even though that wasn't that far, I I was there to stay. So I didn't get, I didn't get home very often. Um, I was the first out of the house. So, um, that was new for my family and, um, I am not one for change and I'm not one. I have never got the wanderlust bug. I have never (laughs) been a like spontaneous traveler. I love traveling, but I love coming home more. Um, Hmm. and yeah, that was the first time this like really tangible ache was kind of tore open in me. And I began thinking about um, the mystery that it was um, because eventually the place where I was, so I, I went to, to St. Therese in, in Bruno, Saskatchewan, this beautiful little place in a teeny town um, where I spent a couple of years in formation and study with a community that became my family very quickly and the town was became my home very very quickly um and I was deeply known and deeply loved there on a level that I probably haven't experienced that I I didn't hadn't experienced before at that point for sure um other than my family so it wasn't that I was in like this scary foreign um uncomfortable place I was surrounded by every comfort I could ever imagine or hope for 
um, people who loved me and good food and a bed. Like, <laughs> And in my home province in Canada, like everything was familiar really um, in no time. And yet there was this lingering, persisting ache in me. Um, and it, I could only, it only harkened back to like a longing for home. And I, I wrote a song about it eventually called Homesick Heart, which is whatever, self-explanatory. Homesick it was a, <laughs> Can we just get into it right that's now? That's yeah. Cry, you've got... So good. That's one of your <laughs> oldest songs. It is. It was one of the first, actually. So yeah, it's really good. I accredit that pain, really, to the, the breakthrough of my artistic um, creativity, really. That's what did it. I don't know when it happened, but one day I just had had enough, and that that ache eventually just breaks open a new space in you to receive, but also to give. And I started writing songs kind of during my time there. And Homesick Heart was one of the first. Um, Is there any yeah. connection to loneliness or how would you even distinguish, you know, that, that nostalgic ache mm -hmm. and what at other times feels a bit more like loneliness or yeah. even isolation? I think loneliness, isolation, those are real. Like I don't, I don't want to make those those sound like they're inherently bad things. They're very natural, um, and I definitely deal with them on a daily basis. But they can swallow up the ache for home, which is essentially a really good and beautiful thing, and actually really necessary in order for us to move forward as human beings. Um, and it's it's a paradox because nostalgia, the word even implies like this remembering, this hearkening back to the place that I came from, um, this ache to, to get back there. Um, that's the very thing for me, that ache being in touch with that longing, um, for what was is the exact thing that like propels me to pursue what is to come and who I'm supposed to be. Um, and isolation, loneliness can become, if, if I don't, if I'm not careful, I can let that, um, be the only fruit that comes from the feeling of nostalgia and that homesickness. Um, in my few brave moments, <laughs> I can sit in that ache and it can become a really, like, still painful, but really intimate and powerful starting point to, like, the rest of my life. And I think if, if we're not in touch with that, familiarity and, and comfort becomes um, too much of a friend to me and I, and I don't move anywhere. And maybe that's just a personality thing, but I think it's, the ache is definitely universal. I think the reason I never thought twice about nostalgia is I actually have had a negative connotation with it for most of my life, mm. which is to say somebody who never moves forward, who's always lost in the past, or who's always sort of dreaming of this sort of iconic age that once was, but maybe actually wasn't. It's just this idea that we have in mm. our head, you know. But what you're describing sounds a lot more like hope, right? It's a, it's a nostalgia yeah, perhaps for things as they once were, you think about the innocence of youth, but then you also can't help but think of all those who've grown up in very broken homes mm -hmm. and who never really experienced childhood mm -hmm. in that same way. Um, that ache or that nostalgia, it's still a hearkening towards this this deeply universal human need mm -hmm. that we have for home that for me frankly, has always been more of a forward-moving mm -hmm. kind of futuristic kind of uh, idea, yeah. not not one rooted in the past. And again, maybe I'm just a skeptic, mm. like even of the word, you mm. know, and, and, and that it's a good thing. Um, and I wonder if there's not more people out there like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I would, I mean, 
I totally was. And I'm still like annoyed at the the feeling of it. Um, but I think no matter, no matter your past, and I'm not, I'm not talking about, um, merely what it was like when we were a kid, you know, like I'm, I'm talking about, um, a deeper belonging that is actually kind of beyond this life. Um, and, uh, that, no matter, and it's, I mean, evidence for that is, I, I don't, it doesn't matter um, what your upbringing is. Yeah, I had a beautiful childhood, was not perfect, no one, no one's is. Um, and I have many memories, I, I grew up in uh, near Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, um, and the First Nations community is, is so, so prevalent there, and I have, they have such a place in my heart. Um, and I've met so many of them, just like taking them out for coffee, um, people kind of wandering the streets. And listening to their stories, and they are the most broken <laughs> I have ever heard. Unthinkable pasts and little kids who are dealing with really grown-up problems and having to face those things that I hope I don't, I never have to. Um, and if I do, maybe in 10 or 15 years <laughs> when I'm a little more wise. And they're, they're kids and they're having to deal with these things. It's not fair. Um, and I think that's where um, the, skepticism, the skepticism can come in. Because it, it isn't fair that, that we're, not, we're not there yet, but we feel that ache. But why is this desire there? That's not fair. Mm. Um, and that is frustrating, and I feel that. But these people, and, and all of us, um, no matter what our lives have been like, how, how blessed or how broken they've been, um, that desire persists. And we all want to belong somewhere, even if we've never belonged anywhere in this life even if we can't actually pin down a home or some safe place that we've been, even if we have no memories of comfort, um, we all still want that because we're all made for that, regardless of, of what's been given to us in this life or what's been taken away. Um, and that's why it's so central to me, I think, because um, if we're not in touch with that, it's, miser it's miserable and, um, and, there's, and there's no hope um, for a better future even if that means you know b beyond our years here that was another word that kept coming up as you were talking is hope mm -hmm. it's almost like nostalgia is a beautiful proof for the existence of heaven that there's got to be something more mm -hmm. and uh, janae i know i've got a lot to do uh, to wrestle with that idea and maybe you could even just share with us that the c.s lewis quote where can it be found where he talks a lot about nostalgia oh yeah so it's um well, in a lot of his writings, but specifically The Weight of Glory, he talks about um, this deep yearning, uh, this echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never visited. So, so good. it's beautiful. Yeah, check it out. Yeah, The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis, another one of your love, good recommendations for the week. Janae, as always, thanks for kind of guiding these conversations about the things of life that really matter. We'll see you next week. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Then my death is coming soon. Well, I was born in the land of the free. I will die where the spirit carries me. It could be right here on the floor, on some distant sunlit shore. I don't know when, I just know that it will be. I will go. Kill or you'll be killed But what could our faith in trust
Trust if love gets buried in the dust Kicked up by a fearful heart that's never filled Let's fill it up! You're listening to For Those I'll Leave Behind off of the latest EP from Kevin Hyder, available exclusively on iTunes and Spotify and everywhere digital music is sold. We're sitting down with the man himself as I speak. Kevin Hyder, how you doing? I'm good, Jimmy. How you doing? Really good. It's been about a year, year and a half since we had you on the podcast. You're in one of our archive interview segments. And uh, here we are in Dayton, Ohio, with the heat off in an increasingly cold winter. I mean, there's how many inches of snow on the ground right now? Uh, I think we got four. Four the other night, something yeah, like that. That's fairly insane. But somebody, somebody said six last night. Really? Which, uh, that, that would surprise me if there's six. I think we got about four. Well, I have to say one of my highlights yesterday, spending time with you and your family, was watching your soon-to-be three-year-old <laughs> yeah. making snow angels at every turn. Like yeah. every time she had a moment to herself, she was in that snow making a snow angel. Yeah. And I, for me, I always really like it when all of you know, my artist, musician friends come through town. She, she seems to grow attached to whoever's here. And there was a moment when you sledded down the hill with her in the sled. And uh, I looked down as you were walking back up and you two were holding hands yes, and it were. was adorable yeah. because she's just, she's just such, she's such an open, uh, warm, friendly kid. And it's, it's beautiful. So Kevin, you've been back in Dayton for a few years now, married, two kids, and a lot of different irons in the fire. You're not just writing music and releasing music. You're also doing a lot of really, really cool video production for other artists. And I'm sure just trying to hold it all in balance. Uh, what What are the greatest joys of life right now? The things that get you out of bed in the morning, especially given, I'm sure, the, the pressure you feel as a young husband and father and as, a, as an artist and musician. Uh, well, the literal thing that gets me out of bed in the morning are the kids, because without them, I would sleep longer and more. Um, How does that work with your tendency to stay up so late? Uh, it just means that no matter how tired I am during the day, by the time it hits nine or 10 o'clock, that's when I start feeling like I want to really start doing creative things. Mm -hmm. And so that just kind of, you know causes the cycle to repeat up late and then up early. So. Yeah. I mean, if I don't have a plan for either being in bed or moving towards a bed by like 10 p.m., I sort of wig out. You know, I like to have my book or my Kindle and moving towards passing out by the time you're usually getting sparked with all your best creativity. Huh? Yeah. See, I think, uh, I think initially, I think I started more as an introvert but kind of force myself to take on the role of extrovert as I started playing more shows and meeting more people. I, I really, you know, when I would first start traveling often and playing shows, I wanted to be very intentional about really getting to know and to hang out with the people after the show that I'd met there. And um, I think that gave me some extroverted tendencies. Mm. So when I'm with people, and my wife can attest to this, I don't know. I don't know how to leave. Yeah, I don't think about it. Like if if someone were to say to me, "I have to go to bed. Get out of my house," I wouldn't be offended. I would say, <laughs> "Okay, great, great seeing you. Thanks." Like that would that would be very helpful to me. Um, On the other hand, I almost always have an exit strategy. Yeah, and I know last night you you 
you were trying to get me to leave, and I didn't want to. I was so being I wasn't subtle, you. subliminal, yeah. everything, uh, but so in your face about it until finally I said, Kevin, I, I have to go now. And it was still about 20 minutes before he left. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to apologize for it. So, um, But I think because of, of the introverted nature uh, that, that I had for a long time, and I think that's inherent with a lot of artists – is that when you're alone and you get an idea and you want to start fleshing it out, uh, you're just you're awake and your mind is on the synapses are firing and you you just you want to get as much done as you can before mm. you kind of pass out and so that's I think is what is what happens to it's, me. It's really cool and it, and it seems like you're also doing a lot of writing. Uh, by way of blogs and even book contributions right now. And I'd love to read an excerpt from yeah. something that I think just went up on your website recently. Yeah. The title is Leave Something for the Imagination. This is probably my favorite excerpt from this. It goes like this. You write, Honesty invokes resonance. Intentionality inspires active participation. Details and specifics help people relate to a story and its characters. But sometimes being too explicit, spelling everything out, or drilling a message or moral home with obvious intent can seem preachy, lazy, or worse, boring. When you say enough to make them wonder or to make them want to know what exactly is being said while leaving something for the imagination, you challenge the audience to engage in a whole new way. You give them something to talk about, and the subsequent discussions allow us to learn something about art, ourselves, and the people we discuss it with. End quote. I love that, Kevin. I think that really is at the heart of our Love Good movement is we, we never want to say too much. We want to invite people into deeper conversations about the things that really matter. And I'm assuming this is not coming out of nowhere. You, you've obviously had encounters with people uh, probably on both sides, you know, people who lead with truth in a way that is fairly ineffective, that they don't really invite you into a dialogue. And then you've probably on the other end had plenty of encounters with people who, who lead with beauty, but there's no rootedness and truth, and it just kind of becomes this empty show. But what, what really inspired these words? I think a lot of it stemmed from um, just observing how my own songwriting has changed over the years. Uh, a lot of it came from conversations I've had with people people, other artists, uh, fans, friends, about art in general. And there's always the conversation, which we don't have to get into it here because it's a, it's a huge can of worms, but um, in terms of popular music, whether it's, whether it's kind of the mainstream secular popular music or the mainstream Christian music, um, all of it very rarely leaves anything to the imagination. It's just, it's very direct, it's very explicit um, with what the intention is. And because of that, to me, it always leaves something lacking. Like there, there's, there's, there's usually very little for me to ponder in it. Um, I don't often have to wonder what is he trying to say. And I, I do like knowing what an artist is trying to say, but I also like being able to kind of give it, give, to have the opportunity to kind of figure it out. Um, I think that's why with films in particular, when little clues are given as to what's going on, part of the fun is to try and figure out what's going to happen. You know, especially when you know there's going to be a twist, you can feel a twist coming. You're on the edge of your seat wondering what, 
what is this going to be? Like, what's something crazy is going to happen? I don't know what. And so you're looking for clues. It's, 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 there's something to just kind of telling a story, but not telling them everything that, that makes them have to kind of fill in the blanks. And that is a form of engagement that I enjoy personally. And I think I've started to incorporate that, um, a little more into my into my own music, the songs I've been writing lately. Whether or not the song I'm writing is a narrative, or whether it's something that would just be more akin to, to kind of poetry or or some sort of philosophical or or spiritual musing on some theme or metaphor. Um, I don't I don't know. I mean, the imagination is is an amazing thing. All of my songs come from my own imagination, and so to be able to to take something that comes from my imagination and get it to inspire and get the wheels turning in someone else's imagination. That's, that's a joy and an honor. And it's, it can be hard to do. Hmm. And sometimes it, it's, it kind of might manifest itself during the creative process as, uh, you know, unofficially as a parameter that, uh, no, this is what I'm trying to say, but I don't want to say it directly. So how how can I find the right phrase or the right poetic language to kind of make make this point um, in a way that might make it more more palatable, easier for them to swallow? Does that, any of that make sense? It does. It's also very honoring of the human intellect and and respectful of the imagination, right? So if if you're constantly telling them everything, you know, you're not respecting the veil or honoring the mysteries of life, then um, I don't know. It's it's almost it can come across as intrusive. And sure. It certainly comes across as um, you know, kind of a a dumbing down of things or an oversimplification of things. And all that to say, you know, the truth is still truth, right? But there's um, yeah, there's there's just something deeply human about recognizing the the great struggle, you know, to be to be faithful to the truth, to be faithful to who. You were called to be, and uh, what your human experience is, is really meant to bring to the world. I think an artist, you being uh, a really great example of this, uh, ha- has a way of inviting the rest of us in. So there's a sense of being unified across our human experience, uh, while also being deeply personal. There's enough mystery to where this can feel like it's being written to me, as as if you were in my heart as you were writing this song and describing this emotion or telling this story. I'm curious, I, I kind of know where this is going to go, but <laughs> what artists have inspired you in this regard? The, the ones that you would say, again, they, they kind of respect the veil. They're not always trying to pull back every layer and show forth the depths of things. They, they give people an opportunity to imagine, to engage their intellect, to even, as you put it here, really have a sense of wonder about things. Uh, well, let me flip that around. Where do you think it's going to go? Where do you Bruce. think Bruce Springsteen? This is going okay. to Bruce. Yeah. It always does. Uh, Bruce is one of the places it, it would go. I, I think a few artists uh, that come to mind would be uh, Sufjan Stevens, U2, and Bruce Springsteen. Now, I say that uh, nobody nobody really considers U2 to be you know Christian musicians. Nobody really nobody considers Bruce Springsteen to be a Christian musician. Um, but U2 and Bruce Springsteen they both use regularly, not even just spiritual, but religious language in their music. What were we listening to yesterday? 
Oh, Re- Bruce, ball. Bruce's Wrecking Ball album, yeah, from yeah. twenty from twenty twelve. It was like a Christmas song, pretty much. Shepherds. And yeah, yeah. So Roll- of- Rolling Stone named that one in the top ten for that year when it came out, and they might have put it on their top one hundred of all time. I can't remember. Mm. So don't quote me on that, even though we just recorded me saying <laughs> it. Um, I can't remember what the list was, but it was it was significant. That song got significant placement, and it it has the feel of a gospel song, which a lot of Bruce's. Um, rock and roll songs after the first 10, 15 years of his career started to kind of take on almost the gospel element to them, and that one in particular. Uh, it's called Rocky Rocky Ground. And yeah, the first verse is, uh, Rise up, shepherds, rise up. Your flock has moved, uh, flown far from the hill. The stars have faded, the sky is dim, something like that. Um, angels are shouting glory, hallelujah. That's That's Christmas. He just described... What Christians typically celebrate when they celebrate Christmas Eve, the shepherds in the fields and the angels come to them with this message of the Savior is born. I mean, that's Bruce Springsteen in a rock and roll gospel song has a verse that is essentially about Christmas. And he uses this imagery to to talk about uh, the the struggle of man. And Bruce even refers to his own music as a secular stations of the cross. And I think within within the realm of of you know using theological language, the term for that would be solidarity. Hmm. And and it's it's a universal concept, the idea that everyone suffers, everyone experiences pain. Is there a hierarchy of pain? Maybe. But it kind of doesn't matter because pain is pain. And if you've suffered and if someone else has suffered, then you have something in common. Um, and so this this is the way that that uh, Bruce and you two they use very theological religious language at times, and that's really interesting to me mm. because they're out there working in the in the mainstream. The only real tragedy in all of this is that every time you wear your Wrecking Ball T-shirt, everybody presumes you're a Miley Cyrus fan. Huh? I know it is a great. Arguably one of the greatest tragedies of our of our time. Well, at least of your life, for sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. One year after the album came out, she just totally seized the the phrase, and uh, she owns it now. She seized it. No, she doesn't own it. That's that's not true. <laughs> well, Kevin, Bruce. What you... No, no, I'm not. I'm not done yet. Oh, no. So Bruce, he's got a song called "I'll Work for Your Love," and this is one of the first songs that I of his that I deliberately played for my wife uh, when we were dating to convince her. To, to become a Springsteen fan. The song is called I'll Work For Your Love. And I don't, it leaves a lot to the imagination because I don't really know what's going on in it. Like it's, it to me, it seems like he's singing from the perspective of an old man who's sitting at the bar who thinks the bartender is beautiful and he's just admiring her and wants to, it almost seems like he's just acknowledging that her beauty is one that is worth working for. And the first line of the song is, Pour me a drink, Teresa, from one of these glasses you dust off, and I'll watch the bones in your back, like the stations of the cross. Mm. I have no idea what that means. Wow. But it's, it makes me want to know what it means. It makes me wonder. And later on in the song, he sings, he's describing the room, the bar that they're in, and he sings, It's late afternoon, the sun fills the room with the mist of the garden before the fall. 
Here we are with Jessamine Anderson, as always, sitting down each week to learn how we can build a better culture. How are you doing this week, Jessamine? I mean, I'm doing okay, but I have a feeling you're doing better than I am since you're off on your European adventure. How is it going? Yeah, it has been really beautiful. One of the things that always strikes me over here in Europe is how old things are, how much rootedness there is to culture. And in fact, in some ways, it's very easy, I think, in our kind of modern perception of things to, to lose a sense of history and to lose a sense of culture. So I'm really trying to capture that and share that, but I'm not really sure I'm doing a great job. Well, I know that sometimes we have a resistance to social media because we feel like it takes us away from the people that we're with, but there's also a lot of beauty to be found in the fact that it allows us to share what we're going through with people that aren't necessarily next to us. And so I remember when my friends were studying abroad, I loved seeing their pictures of all the places that they went. My sister did a huge European trip in college, and it was so wonderful to see all those things. And so I wanted to let people know, first of all, to encourage them to share when they're on these adventures, share these moments, even if you post them later, um, take pictures and share them with your friends and your family. And if you want to do that with the Love Good team as they are all across Europe, you can follow us on social media. Instagram is probably the best way to find our most beautiful photos. So it's at Love Good Culture. Twitter is also at Love Good Culture. And Facebook is facebook.com slash Love Good Culture. And you can follow along with all of our European adventures. And if for some reason we're missing all of your own adventures and your ways of uh, really bringing culture to life, what would be the easiest way to tag us? Maybe there's a handle out there. How can we know what people are experiencing themselves? You can just do hashtag love good. I do hashtag love good on all of our posts as well. And if you use that, then we can find your love good moments. That's really great, Jessamine. Well, thanks for the encouragement and the challenge to not give up on sharing through social media all the beautiful things that are happening over here and year round. Cannot wait to see you when we get back home in a few weeks. See you soon, Jimmy. Well, I think everybody who knows of Kevin Hyder listening to the podcast right now is probably as curious as I am what's coming next, right? It's been at least now two years since the Us EP came out. Yeah. And three, three and a half years since your double disc masterpiece, The Spark. Five. No, it is yeah. not It'll be five. five. It'll be five next month. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I remember yeah. sitting on a rooftop in Baltimore with you as you explained to me how some of those songs came into existence. That was probably right before your wedding. Uh, that would, Five yeah. years ago. That was the only time you were there, I think. The only time I've been in Baltimore with you. That's okay. for sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think everybody's sort of wondering, you know, what's what's next, Kevin <laughs> Heiner? Well, the, so the reason I did The Spark as a double album is because I, I had a lot of songs on the backlog. And, uh, I, you know, I did a Kickstarter for it, so I was already going to be asking for a, a lot of money. And I thought, you know what, if I'm going to be asking for this much money, I want to be able to give the people who are supporting the project as big a bang for their buck. And so that's what I tried to do. That's why I did a, a double album. I had two list of, lists of songs that I really liked together individually. And, um, and I thought I'm, I'm just gonna, I'll do them both and kind of release it out there as a double album, which is kind of, it's kind of weird. I think it's a little unusual for an independent at the time, virtually unknown artist to release, uh, a double album, but it's what I felt like I, I kind of thought, you know what, I could do it. I think I should. <laughs> yeah, well, you only live once, you know. Um, but what's in the pipeline now? Um, a few things. So once again, I've got too many songs for a single record. I've also been working on um, 
uh, over the years, really for the last 10, 15 years, various arrangements of classic Christmas songs, as well as kind of original instrumental piano compositions um, that I would like to work into a, a Christmas album. So what I'm thinking right now is is a regular album with a deluxe version that would have, you know, some bonus tracks and B-sides. And... Uh, and also a double Christmas album. Mm. So I, I don't know what it would be called, but the idea would be one would kind of be peace. So that would be kind of the really pretty, mostly just instrumental stuff uh, to kind of honor the spirit of the season. And then joy would be the would be the other one. And and this would be uh, I like to have fun with with my Christmas song arrangements. So I've got a, I've got a version of you know she'll be coming down the mountain when she comes. So I wrote a version about a year ago. He'll be coming down the chimney uh, when he comes, and it, and it's going to feature. I want it to just be raucous, and and the Philadelphia Kazoo Corral mm. is going to make an appearance on on several several songs wow. on the record. The Philadelphia Kazoo Corral, uh, they're not a communist entity, but it kind of functions as one in that none of the members of it ever get paid mm. and they're kind of interchangeable uh, parts in the machine that is the Philadelphia Kazoo Corral. Oh, well, there you go. So, Well, that sounds pretty cool and uh, I'm just curious, will there be the crunching of, of snow and footsteps for minutes at a time? And the reason I ask that is because the only Christmas song that I that I listen to frequently of yours is got a long intro with snow. That was not my creative decision I figured, for the record. I figured. We'll blame so, that one on our good friend Sean Williams. We, we actually arguably, I arguably had a worse creative idea. <laughs> <laughs> and then the chipmunks at the end, will there be chipmunks on this? That wasn't my idea. <laughs> that was funny. I thought that was funny when I, when I heard it. We're referring to A Christmas Collective, which um, yeah. really actually an incredible album that Kevin contributed on not too long ago. So, Kevin, I'm in full support of a double this Christmas album from you. And uh, naturally, it'll be hard, I think, for you to land those 12 songs or 10 songs that would normally be on an album. So the fact there'll be a deluxe edition is pretty exciting. Uh, real quickly, before we close out, what are some of the... What are some of the recommendations you have for our listeners right now? Books that you've read either recently or in your life that have just completely floored you. Music, albums that you think are absolute must-listens, and uh, even you know movies that you've seen that you've been really floored by through the years. Um, man, this is a loaded question. Uh, so the 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 key book that I will always that is the number one book that I always recommend would be uh, C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. Mm. Uh, it's a book that contemplates. Uh, suffering um, and forgiveness. Forgiveness is kind of a two-way street. And it was something that, you know, in college, just as I got older and started to care more about the world and things that were happening in it, both good and bad, I started to really kind of be convinced of the idea that the root of, of um, you know, most of our problems in the world are stem from our inability to forgive mm. um, and unwillingness to do so. And we do it, each of us does it in petty ways uh, with friendships, acquaintances. Somebody does something to kind of slight us in the smallest way and we hold it in, we hang on to it, we don't let it go. So if, if, if that happens with big things, especially between nations <laughs> or entire groups or communities or ethnicities, 
uh, or religions, then it's it's going to be a horrible, violent, prolonged problem. Um, and so the great divorce really, I think, gets at the heart of the idea of forgiveness uh, as a as a two way street. Um, it's an allegory on me- on many levels. So if uh, yeah, that's always that's always the number the number one. I recommend. I'm gonna really challenge you here too. Other than Bruce, yeah, favorite albums of all time. Oh, of all time, or just that oh, you're man. listening to right now that you think well, are worth. Well, so so one I've uh, that I seem to rediscover every two years would be uh, the Counting Crows album This Desert Life, which I think came out in '99. It does not sound like a '90s album remotely, and um, yeah, every two years I'll kind of rediscover it, and we've been playing that one, blasting it in my house for about a week now. But what what I what I want to say is is the one that preceded this and we we popped this one in interchangeably now with the Counting Crows one is a band called The Collection. They're based out of North Carolina. Uh, I've done I've done two shows with them in the last year and they are phenomenal to see live. I think at their at their peak they have about 12 people performing in the band. Uh, both the times I play with them, I think they've had about seven, but they are just musically, they are, they kind of sound like a, a perfect blend of Mumford and Sons and Sufjan Stevens. So mm-hmm. kind of like a, a folk rock, um, with a quasi symphonic element to them. Uh, they sing songs that are, are slower paced and anthemic. And they sing songs that are just so high energy and so anthemic, but lyrically really, really, really interesting. That's um, cool. They share kind of Mumford's and Sufjan's um, penchant for language that's like really inquisitive on a philosophical, spiritual level. Uh, so the band is called The the Collection. And their their latest album is uh, Listen to the River. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, we were listening to that in the car the other day, and I was floored by it. Yeah. Well, Kevin, this is all really, really good. As always, it is such a joy to have you on the Love Good Podcast and such a joy to get to spend these days with you here in Ohio. Just real quickly, how can people stay in touch with you, social media, website, all that good stuff? Yeah, my website is just myname.com, kevinheider.com. Uh, Twitter and Instagram, either at Kevin Heider or at Kevin Heider Music uh, Facebook page, all that, all that good stuff. It's awesome, Kevin. Yeah. We're so pumped for that Double Dose Christmas album whenever whenever that's going to hit. iTunes and Spotify as well. There you go. And the, oh, Spark, yeah. the Spark and Us are both on, you can uh, listen to both of those on Pandora as that's well. That's great. So. That's great. Well, so much more to come, I'm sure, in the years ahead. And Kevin, as always, it's a pleasure. We'll do this again sometime. Awesome. Thank you, Jimmy. The Polish Sea did arrive, and they were so alarmed at the sight of all the people. Standing tall in arms, rednecks yelled, the Polesia, we don't like your kind around here. So the criminals fled to the Augustiner and drank some victory beers. And they played and they played.
listening to the Salzburg Revolution from Kevin Hyder. There are so many cool versions of that song. Just go check it out on iTunes or really anywhere digital music is sold. What a pleasure to have had Kevin in the studio today. Kevin really is one of my favorite people. I'll never forget hearing his first song. Uh, I think it was actually the Salzburg Revolution. I'll never forget my first phone call with him. And for the last five, six, seven years, it's been such a privilege to get to accompany him as an artist, as a friend, as a brother, and to support him. And all of you are a part of that. So thank you. We're bringing so much beauty into the world by supporting people like Kevin Hyder. As always, this is that part in the show where we hear a question or some really cool reflection from one of our listeners. So check it out. Hey Jimmy, this is Joe Lair, and I'm a junior at Chaminade Julian Catholic High School in Dayton, Ohio. I love listening to your podcast, and especially your music. I was wondering if there is one concert or musical experience that stands out to you for influencing your own music. In addition, are there any performances you have given that have had a profound impact on you? Thank you. How's it going, Joe? Really great to hear from you, man. And what a great question to think about. Uh, the power that other musicians and other live shows have had on me. I mean, really going back to the time I was in middle school and high school, I just loved anything that was piano-driven. And by the time I moved to Nashville, I got to see a lot of symphony shows at the then brand new Skimmerhorn Symphony Hall in Nashville. And, you know, I like a lot of pop and rock and folk and singer-songwriter type music, but the kind of music that most inspires me, where I can kind of just like close my eyes and be in a very different place, is usually the full orchestra stuff. You know, I love soundtracks. I love classical music. And obviously it's very much the kind of music that I write and that I share with people as well. And, you know, it's pretty cool, Joe, because we, we just met a month ago and it was at this beautiful, very simple concert in the basement of a church there in Dayton, Ohio. Ironically, around the same time that Kevin and I recorded the interview that people just heard a few moments ago, and one of the things I loved most about that night wasn't the way that I performed, but really the conversations and the friendships that ensued afterwards, yours being one of them. I think that's the great power that music has to unite us across the human experience, to actually lift our souls in times of real darkness and struggle. And most importantly, be an occasion for friendship and something that really brings us together in authentic community and culture. So as always, Joe, thanks for that question. You guys can always call in or send us a little audio recording at content at lovegoodculture.com. We are so eager to hear from you. We really believe you are the ones on the front lines of building a better culture, uh, of really bringing beauty to the forefront of your lives and of your communities. And that really does make all the difference. Everybody, again, this is your host, Jimmy Mitchell, signing off for this particular episode on the Love Good Podcast. It is always such a joy and privilege to have so many of you following us and know that we cannot wait for next week. A lot of really cool conversations coming up while we're in England with thought leaders over here. So uh, much to come and much to be excited about. We love you guys. We're praying for you, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Stay in touch on social media. And be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. Massive thanks to all of our patrons who make this podcast possible. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow 
Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com.